0: Getting used to the phenomenon of having a group of people, three-dimensional people, <laughs> sitting in front. Mm-hmm. Feeling so real, normal. <laughs> all, is, uh, all the benefits of um, you know, video online, which are enormous benefits, uh, can be obtained through that. Uh, Still, I feel it's sometimes kind of slightly strange, (laughs) talking to thin air. Um, So here, speaking where we are in the monastery, uh, what monasteries are about, gathering places. uh, And the the transmission of the Dharma was always... uh, Direct people sitting together, talking face to face, listening, presence. Buddha setting up uh, communities. Said so his great achievement, his hallmark, his final achievement was to establish what he called the fourfold assembly. It was like this is the crowning piece that will hold it all together. Assembly of uh, gone forth men and women and householder men and women mm. that covers it so then they're mutually supportive and mutually correcting and mutually sympathetic mm. uh, sympathise doesn't mean you agree, it. agree means you tune in these are my people mm. it matters they matter this is us it matters <laughs> it's not just me We matter. Mm -hmm. And it's not just uh, the sake of a kind of nice community, but in fact it's uh, uh, necessary for moderating uh, the mind, which uh, can easily tip into self-obsession. Me, me, me. Or on the other extreme, it can just be uh, all about everybody else. We're searching for somebody else to make things right, somebody else to blame, somebody else is this or that. We're focusing on other people and we don't really point back to ourselves, to what's happening in our own hearts. And so essentially, community is that which we find ourselves. We find ourselves by noticing how we are with others, how others affect us. And we find our truth, our balance. Mm. Mm. Not drawn out. Searching for something from somebody else. Projecting fears, desires onto other people. Mm. Mm. Not, you know, running inwards, ignoring everybody else, uh, holding on inwardly but somehow spanning all of it. Normalizing. Normalizing. And not just people, but environment. How we are with creatures, with atmospheres, with living places. A lot of attention giving monastic training in suitable environment. Kuti, keeping your kuti tidy, looking after the forest, looking after the place you're living in, caring for guests. There is sweeping around our environment, social environment, human environment, physical environment. And of course our karmic environment, which is the essence of it all. Things that have happened in the past that we regret or rejoice over. Teachings that we remember and cherish. Uh, things we have to forgive ourselves for. Yeah. Things we have to forgive others for. Memories, perceptions, impressions. We live within this multifold field. Uh, that operates in terms of space and time. Really, we're not separate. Jitta mm. Heart, mind is poised, lives within this field of impressions, impressions of self, impressions of others, impressions of what the past is, impressions of what the future could be, impressions that are saddening, impressions that are gladdening, impressions that are encouraging, impressions that are depressing, impressions that are inspiring, impressions that are fearful and so forth. Past, present, future what we can see with our eyes, what we can remember in our minds, and so forth. That's what we're with. Yeah. And, that's, hmm? and now we can lock on to any of that, get into a, some kind of obsessive state around something I did five years ago. I'm still chewing over and feeling regret and remorse over or bitter or mistreated. Yeah. Or somebody I knew 10 years ago, I feel a self-grief, loss, bereavement, or some kind of irritating experience. We can lock on to these things. We can lock on in the present moment. to This person does this, they drive me crazy. Why is he always like that? Why does she never do this? We can lock on to that. We can lock on to ourselves. Why am I like this? Why can't I be like that? How am I ever going to be this way? Why am I always that way? And these, when we lock on, this locking on attachment, it's called, you can be sure suffering and stress will follow. If you haven't got it yet, it will certainly be coming in. (laughs) It's a result of attachment within the field. Generates these discrete objects called myself and others. Myself in the past, myself in the present, what I will be in the future. That's an object that arises in our mind. Other people in the present, other people in the past, other people in the future. Mm. That arises in my mind. Dumbers, these are dumbers. We look around, we see buildings, trees, and so forth. How does that affect us? Spacious, open, delighted or we feel congested, crowded, too much traffic, too many people, buildings, affected externally, affected internally, physical conditions, energy problems, health, affected internally, mind states, affected internally, affected externally. And it's not, you know, just external is other people. No, external is everything we take to be outside ourselves. It can be the weather, it can affect you. Sunny day, you finally feel bright, positive. You know, two weeks of April, first two weeks of April in Britain is just like, it's a garden. Beautiful, wonderful. You feel yourself, spirits are lifting up, the birds are singing, the flowers are coming out. Great last two weeks of November you think oh my goodness how long is this going to go on for (laughs) everything's dying 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 all around you (laughs) things are falling apart and then you've got three or four months of this gray dark (laughs) and some people like it but it certainly has an effect you get things like you know SADS um, seasonal adjustment disorder and you're affected by that. Mm. So external, as effects, mm. internal, rem- memories, impressions, energies, internal, affected by that. Any of this, we get locked in, in attachment, attachment. And we get out of here. How do this? How do I want to get out of here? You don't get out of the field. You're still in. The, you're in the field. That maybe the, the colors change, but you'll still be in the field. In that field of dhammas arising, and you'll still be in the same predicament. Lock onto any of it, you're going to suffer. <laughs> but also. The beauty of it is actually, within any of it, if you don't lock on to it, you don't have to suffer. You can be living in Walthamstow or Nigeria, you don't. (laughs) And if you don't lock on, you don't suffer. If you're living with people on your own, if you don't lock, no attachment, you don't suffer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we really, you know, in the monastery, we establish these uh, cultivations. One is cultivation externally, say community life, looking after the place. It's not just to make a place some showpiece, but actually it is a cultivation of care, attention, but recognize, you know, as you're doing it, the main practice is just to be caring and attentive, to the external noticing, where you get frenzied, trying to make it all work and perfect and tidy and absolutely spick and span, where you get frenzied and obsessive, where you get casual, oh goodness me, who cares, I didn't come here to do gardening, I didn't come here to do bricklaying, I didn't come here to do cooking, I didn't come here to do washing up, I came here to get enlightened. I came here to practice. I didn't come here to do the washing up, I came here to practice. Well, practice washing up. <laughs> noticing a feeling of irritation or disappointment or your views and opinions about why you need to wash up or why other people don't do it or it's beneath you or above you or you, you know, and keep just noticing these feelings of agitation or irritation or exasperation or business workaholic. I can do all the washing up. You know, patterns, and uh, and just start acknowledging that these are dhammas arising. Everything is teaching you about where you get stuck, or where the jitta gets stuck. Don't even take it personally. Everything is teaching you where your jitta locks, wants, doesn't want, starts to project. You know, know? and so we cultivate, we cultivate just non obsessive, but at the same time giving forth attention, awareness, care, not just blindly going through a duty, but actually looking into it. How is this? We're not just kind of, you know, doing it blindly. So I remember, you know, people are quite good at coming into cleaning up the place. So people tend to look down at the floor and sort of vacuum the floor or sweep the floor. And you get people who come into a room. You can see, oh, this one, he comes in, he gets his head down. He's vacuuming the floor. Let's clean the room. But look, if you look up, you see all the cobwebs. Oh, never actually looked up or you see around the skirting boards the line of dirt on the skirting boards where it's landed on top of the plugs. So you look around, you cultivate that and look around. Have that wide-spanning attention. Recognising you do it today and tomorrow it will still be dirty. And you do it again. And tomorrow it will still be dirty. And you do it again. And today you sweep the leaves And tomorrow there'll be more leaves. It never gets done. But we're not trying to get it done. We're just cultivating thorough, deep attention, careful awareness, non-obsessive, open to the field of what we're in. And this means people, obviously, cultivating hostly cultivations towards people. And creatures that live we share this planet with. You know, so I've been having trying to enter a more positive relationship with my rats. I live around my cootie. We've had a bit of negotiations over territory and I've quite you know, I've grown quite fond of rats. I no longer have a kind of ooh, rat feeling. Rat is just a little animal running around and needs shelter, okay. But please don't chew my cootie. <laughs> You don't know, I'm sorry, if you don't understand that, I've put some chicken wire down. Please don't dig under the chicken wire. Okay, we've got to dig the chicken wire in deeper to emphasize this point, but I am not going to harm you. Quite happy to see you running around. But don't have to chew my cootie. <laughs> you know, then you look at it like a oh, creature needs to live, okay so a bit of you know peaceful coexistence right? cultivate like this rather than immediately like, oh rat nasty nasty kill it kill it kill it <laughs> you know, sort of things that people get into isn't it fly kill it kill it kill it <laughs> bothering me kill it A little bit of mutual awareness, you know, creature, living creature, you know, I don't own the planet, let's get on. They cultivate like this, externally. And it's not obsessive, it's just cultivating that purity of responsiveness and openness of attention. We cultivate like that. And then you say, we also do what we call meditation. So solitude is also encouraged. Sitting quiet on your own is also encouraged. Refraining from talking is also encouraged. So how do these two match up? Well, same thing. Hmm. Because when you call it internally, you open up and there, there's physical feeling I don't really like, but okay. Energies are not quite the way I'd like them to be, but that's okay. Obsessive thought in my mind, Uh (laughs) uh-huh. Okay, let's just manage peaceful coexistence. Open, don't lock onto it, it, any of it as myself, or any that shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be feeling what I'm feeling. I should be feeling more confident, more happy, more inspired. I'm not. Stop making this self out of it and just relating to what arises. These are dhammas. And you do the same. So once you learn externally, you learn internally, same same skills. Once you learn internally, you cultivate externally, same skills. And eventually, the the boundary between internal and external begins to dissolve, and you just and you notice what Signals arise, internally, externally. What are the signals that arise? Something that, what's he doing? Oh, they think this. Oh, I'm not that. You know, you can feel it rippling your nervous system. These signs and signals, it's called dumbers arising. Pleasant, you know, happy expectation. Mm, careful, it might not happen. Dreadful expectation, relax now, it might not be the case. <laughs> Projection about other people, I don't feel very good with him or her, just that's worry and fear, deal with it, now, okay, and you're just cultivating that widening and opening and steadying within the field. Yeah. And it may seem like you're dealing with a lot of discrete phenomena, but actually you're staying in one place and widening from that one place. You find a stable point. This is Dhammas. This is how it is. This is how it is now. That one point. It's like this now. We'd like it to be another way. We want it to be another way. But it's like this. Now, that's your one point. How's that feel? Mm. Okay. Let's just start dealing with the agitation, my expectation, feeling I should get something, make something happen, be somebody, feel a certain way, have a... Particular mind state. Let's just deal with that craving, and it's like this now. And so you really begin to get a sense of how invasive this this craving quality is. I mean, it's such a powerful word, craving, tanha. And you probably think, "I don't crave very much. I don't particularly want to drink. I don't." Crave television? I'm not I'm craving. What's called craving? You'll find out. Essentially, the most fundamental thing we crave is a self—a <laughs> self who's solid, permanent, lasting, impregnable, clear, bright, constant. That's what I want. I want to be solid, impregnable right clear happy positive bright unfailing that's what i want and maybe this is going to get me there well sorry (laughs) it's not gonna happen (laughs) but don't worry you'll get over it (laughs) and you'll find yourself actually a lot happier and more flexible, and more able to, to to live without that getting in the way, that expectation getting in the way. Yeah. So we're talking about okay. internally, externally. Don't keep categorizing things as self and other. Internally, externally affected wholesome, unwholesome, yeah. agitated, calm, preferences arising. Mm. All that. Don't get, just recognise the pull of all that It pulls you into tanha upadana, craving, clinging, clinging, becoming, becoming somebody. And so it goes. Craving to be something that, Becoming. Attaching. That's me. Becoming. I am this. Birth. I will be this. Yeah. Death. That's how it goes. And the funny thing is, is craving to be something so powerful. Not even necessarily craving something pleasant. But to formulate an entity. This is what I am. I am a neurotic wreck good, now I've got that established <laughs> and now I kind of know how to operate within that paradigm of make sure this doesn't happen, that doesn't happen you know uh, to operate within that mm. Mm. You know, the craving to be a self and you can see the patterns remember teaching a retreat and there's a couple of people there you get watching people doing chores the chore period just noticing people doing chores and there's generally get there this impressive list of how to cut a carrot you know or how to mop a floor and you've got people who just like they see this as a major work project scrubbing floors they feel comfortable working working hard gives them a sense they're energized by that other people just, you know, oh well, oh well, I'll do this, how long for, you know, <laughs> half-hearted, mind somewhere else, you know? you know. You see the patterns playing out, how the mind trivialises or overemphasises. And finding that balance, that's practice. When you find that balance, this is called the middle Path, avoiding extremes, right in the middle, poised, knowing which way you're going to, watching yourself tilt or lean and coming back to the centre again, widening, opening to the field. This is So it covers all of it. This is really helpful because it is in line with human nature. One of the aspects of human nature is we we seek to normalize. It's both a social instinct and even a neurological instinct. Hmm. So, obviously, when people get together, they want to kind of shake hands or make gestures. Okay, you're welcome or fine. Where am I supposed to be? Good. What's the rules? What's the protocol here? Where do I sit? Where do I go? Okay, now I'm, I'm normalized. I know the scene. You know, I'm okay with it. Yeah. That's standard, isn't it? People do that. You generally make gestures to make people feel, well, you're welcome, please. So they feel normalized. We normalise the agitations can cease where we are, okay, we can start to operate. Of course, it doesn't always work because as you can recognize, even though uh, like uh, communities make a lot of sense, they're very rare. Most people find it difficult to live with more than one other person. Even one person can be a bit of a challenge. But when you've got six, seven, ten, most people cannot do that, yeah. because, you know, a lack of a norm. It's just my opinion, her opinion, his tastes, her preferences, and so forth. And we're trying to work it all out. And that gets so complicated, you think, oh, it's, you know... Ten of us get together to decide what we're going to eat on Friday, and who's doing the washing up on Saturday, and whose turn it is to do the... Oh, yeah, i still just live on my own <laughs> and deal with all this. And so that, that's pretty much the case, isn't it? We seek to normalise, but it's pretty difficult. Because most people are trying to normalise by adding up, getting the details right. Who does what? and seeing each other as separate entities. Now, in Dhamma practice, we normalise around Dhamma, first of all. So the Dhamma is sometimes called the norm. It means let's generate goodwill, let's generate conscience and concern, let's generate mindfulness and awareness, let's generate you know, ethical balance. Mm. Find your way in this. Find your way in this. Everybody generate that. Because you can know it. You can know it in yourself. So you normalize, by actually knowing where in your own heart there's that norm. Where there is goodwill. Where there is awareness. Where there is mindfulness. Where there is conscience and concern. You say, this I can know directly. It's not a protocol on a piece of paper. It's something I can feel, I feel good about. I normalise around that. And then begin to cultivate that. And when a group of people do that, then you get a community. So you work not on the external details, but the internal, directly accessible, directly realisable beauties of the heart. Let's do that and work from there, and then gradually the details of how we can operate begin to take shape, and they're probably going to be changing, and we get it wrong. We get it wrong, but it doesn't matter because everything's a learning, and you say you haven't lost the norm of the Dhamma. And monastic communities particularly are Mm -hmm. uh, quite remarkable, really, because often, well our ones, particularly in the West, are often multinational, multicultural, and people are coming and going. So how do you manage to maintain a sense of stability and norm when you've got people coming and going, new people, some seasoned people leaving, going somewhere else, newcomers coming in, because they're tuned to the norm of the Dhamma, and you generally they're principle generally in forest forest is some newcomer comes in, make them welcome, give them a few days to just check things out, find out where things are, and feel comfortable in themselves, and then they can start to fill in the protocols. So you start with normalising around the Dhamma. And once you get that right, then you don't have any issues with the various duties and tasks and so forth. Because they're just they correspond to something to be accomplished by mindfulness that can bring forth integrity and concern, create a manifestation of goodwill, you do it. Why not? Hmm. So this then covers the external the internal. Hmm. You can see how important that normalising is. Because until we feel normed, settled in our situations, the mind never really settles down. Even when you're practising on your own, the Buddha says something like, sit at the root of a tree. Put aside regret, doubt, covetousness and grief over the world normalise. Here I am, it's like this now, tree behind me, canopy, shelter, safe, comfortable. Okay. Having done so, bring awareness, bring mindfulness to the fore. And what you notice when your fundamental bodily sense is normalised, you notice breathing. Because that's the inner normalizing agency of the body. It settles us. It calms us. You could say it's the moderator of the nervous system. So rather than, okay, I've got to find some place where I can be quiet, sit down, everything to bother me and focus on my breath. Mm, not quiet. No, wherever you are, take up that sitting position or standing position. Discard the irritations or the fascinations with the world around you. Open to it, but discard the obsessiveness in one way or another, or closing it out. And you'll find that once you've discarded those tendencies, the world kind of disappears. Because it's not, there's no science, there's no signals. you're not getting any buzzes going off in your system. So you make, you know, Make peace with that, then you don't. Then your mind settles. You see what I mean? You know. So you're sitting, and you know, if your uncertainty is quite normal, a bit nervous, uncertain, uh-huh. but practice with uncertainty, with nervousness, with anxiety, widening, softening. Not reacting and breathing and the signs disappear. The signs disappear. Because all we really ever experience very intimately is not people or places, but the signs that they that get triggered. And these are very important to acknowledge. Signs of this sign of attraction, a sign of fear, I don't feel I'm good enough. And that, can, that can arise in the presence of other people, this karma. I feel I should be something, as soon as I'm with a group of people I start to feel I should be doing something important to feel I'm okay. That's a sign not as good as she is that's a sign or she's not as good as i am that's another sign <laughs> so those kind of flashing things that pop up perception yeah. okay don't attach acknowledge steadying from your place of steadiness release the signs breathing hmm. so then Breathing in and out comes normally. It comes naturally, it comes normally. You don't have to find it. It's the indication that you have settled. If you haven't settled, settle first, get comfortable first, and then breathing will come to you. Um, and then the world disappears. Not because you've run away from it or close it down. It just no longer pushes any buttons Rings any bells, sets any buzzers going, it's just. it's gone. Fire's gone out. And then how do you do that? Well, you start, you know, whatever you are, you think, okay, I practice integrity. I recognize that in myself which values integrity. Yes, right. I cultivate goodwill. I notice that. I generate that. I'm aware of death. I'm not reckless and heedless. I cultivate that. I cultivate respect. I cultivate that. These cultivations, these are are your values. You sit within and you normalise. As you sit within that and you attend to that, that quality, your inner Dhamma, becomes your resting place. You sit in that and the jitter then discards its fear, covetousness, and grief, irritation, and begins to gently expand. That's its nature. And then it find something that causes you to jump, pause, and keep expanding till these signs in the field are cleared if you are settled. And check it out. Just notice, say you're even, what it's like if you're a group of people and you're not thinking about something or the other, you're not obsessed with something, you're just sitting there. How does it affect you? You feel like the odd one out? Maybe that's quite common. If you're slightly nervous or strangely fidgety, that's not uncommon. Wherever the signs arise, however, you lock on to them, there will be suffering, and unskillful habits will arise. So you meet those and relaxing. Relaxing, relaxing through that. Living community, the way it goes is dependent on how your mind operates. You can find some particular feature of somebody's behavior, really annoys you. Eventually that becomes the dominant perception. (laughs) You know, that thing he does or that thing he doesn't do. So when you see them, that sign, that bell starts ringing. There's the lazy so-and-so. There's the obsessive so-and-so. There's the one who always does this. There's the one who never cleans up. There's the one who doesn't switch the light off. There's the one who, you know, doesn't listen something. Ding, 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 ding. Ah, I think I've met a teacher. (laughs) Very good, I've met a teacher. Okay, what do I do with this? Yes, back, step back, <laughs> don't lock horns with it, let's step back, I don't run away from it, just step back wider and soften. and you find there's a quiet place that you can rest it. This is skillful, and then you begin to see, I don't need to just keep pumping out ill will, Maybe she is, maybe he isn't, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But I don't need to have this churning of irritation and ill will. It does me harm. So you just step back. And you learn that in community life. Not just over things like that. You can find yourself like you're suddenly monasteries, particularly very quiet, and then maybe 200 people turn up oh my goodness me, I feel overwhelmed, flooded, 200 people, this room is crowded of people, (laughs) just step back, sign of devotion, the sign of people enthusiastic, don't lock into it, just sit back, you go to a Meeting, we have meetings, so generally the meeting is about a work or business meeting. Where somebody's got maybe four or five topics come up on the agenda, da 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 You think, oh my goodness me, there's so much going on here. Step back from that over-engaged, but don't space out. Find the middle way. You're just listening. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. What you choose to engage with from a place of meaning is matters. So you're really no longer just being wound up by life. Then you can live. You can live with people, you can live on your own. You can live with whatever you've done in the past and you can live with no future. Mm. with a future that's always uncertain you can live with it rather than trying to plan and map out everything that's going to happen the next year get it all sorted out you don't need to do that because the sense of anxiety is gone Mm. and the sense of guilt is gone the sense of regret is gone Mm. nostalgia is gone fear is gone you can live you can be lived freely. And this is precious. Precious. Yeah. This is the way the Buddha cultivated internally and externally. So the resources that you need for liberation, external, internal, what are these fundamental resources, absolutely fundamental resources for, we say, the attainment of Stream entry means through this you have found that middle way and you know it. You've rested in that place where you're, you feel liberated or liberation potential. you found that quiet center. You're in that, attentive you know, to where you're getting hooked up and how you can unhook. Four resources, essential. External, spiritual friendship, admirable companions, guides and leaders, models, mm. not just people you like, but people who present behavior, words, ideas, themes, attitudes that touch, arouse, dhamma, skillful states. Externally you hear or you attend or you pick up true meaning, true Dhamma. That which matters, you pick it up, it's being presented to you either verbally, directly or just in the way that people behave. Wow! The way you walked across the room without scurrying, that was a teaching for me because normally when I get up I'm merely halfway out the door. The way you picked his sandals up and just put them there before opening the door. I normally kick them off and run out the door. Yeah, so it could be like that. You, you get a teaching because you're living with people who are practicing. Or you remember people you know, who do that. External. Internal. You practice the Dhamma. You see that being modeled. Talking, what happens when I do the same thing? What does it take to act like that? Where does that come from? And internally you cultivate yoni-sul-manisikara, deep, careful, considered attention. What's going on? Where's this come from? Is that a skillful thought? Is it useful? Is that relevant? Is it unwholesome or wholesome? Keep filtering. And these all play together. Yeah, because uh, Kalyanamita encourages you not just to be a you know a conformist model to what they're doing it encourages you to cultivate your deep attention to recognize you know, oh, when I do that I'm careless. When I do like she's doing it. Yeah, I can see that. There's a point in that. There's a point when that person never says, I will do this. They say, I intend to do that. (laughs) There's a point in that. It's not just a linguistic contrivance. It means they're saying, our intention is to do that. My intention is to go to Bangkok tomorrow, but we will see, you know. Because the future, they're telling the truth. That's all. Yes, that's right. So I'm not leaning into the future. There's a point in that. There's a teaching there. You get it. Oh yes, it's the right way to think. That's the right way to think. Then I'm not leaning into the future, nor am I denying the possibilities. I'm just poised in that. There's the middle way. Kalyanamita gives you the hints, the suggestions that bring you to the middle way, to the midpoint. They work together. How do you know a Kalyanamita? How do you know a spiritual friend? How do you know an admirable companion? Because you deeply attend to what they're doing. You know, you could be living with an arrow hunt enlightened being but if you don't have deep attention you wouldn't notice it just think what's that funny old guy doing I don't know <laughs> so you know deep attention you see so they work together Kalyanamita encourages deep attention deep attention helps you to notice the people are just so, so superficial friends look good but actually got no depth to them and the ones who are there's some depth there, you, you attend carefully. Yeah. And you, you know, you can be reading a thousand books but you don't get a single piece of true Dhamma arising because it's just words drifting through. And the Buddha said, rather than a thousand wasted words, a single word of truth is better. Yeah. Even no words, just watching, picking up the true Dhamma. And you get that because practice. You know what you can practice with. And generally when you hear a Dhamma talk, there may be three phrases in that that you get. That's fine. That was that was the Dhamma for you. It's not everything I've said or anybody says. It's just the three phrases or the the piece that triggered something in yourself. That's what it's like. Like that. So we're not saying, I, I couldn't get it all, I couldn't understand it all. No, you understood the bit you could right now. And maybe tomorrow it will be something else. So we live like that. We don't leave your center and let it flow over, see what you pick up. But when you're in a field where you're getting those signs, the sign of the Kalyanamita, the sign of admirable companions, the sign of people who inspire, model, you think, yeah, this is truly suitable for me to deepen my attention to what they're doing and saying and not doing and not saying, and to relinquish my fears, worries, self-consciousness, feeling intimidated, feeling I've got to be like, just relinquish those. and. Find your centre. That's all that's been asked. Encouraged. When you hear Dhamma, you don't have to remember it all. Fit it into some conceptual system. Just notice the pieces, the elements that light you up. Oh, that's it. And When that happens, you know you're in the right place. And you know you're finding the centre, your own centre. So everything leads back to that. Everything leads back to that. Mm. So the world, of course, the world of social norms is extremely confusing because this desire to normalize means often people get herd instincts. You get swept up in fashions, in political ideologies, dogmatic beliefs, crazy missions, just because people want to belong to something. But we're not trying to belong to a society. We're trying to normalize around Dhamma. And in the true society, the fourfold assembly, that's the true society that arises in our awareness. Mm. Near and far, people far away geographically come close in our hearts. People who passed away come close in our hearts. And so, this is the true assembly that we normalize around. Mm. So, uh, offer this for your reflection, encouragement.